You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Greetings, this is Aaron Fishman. On May 19th, the Grizzlies officially ended the San Antonio Spurs season, narrowly defeating them in a 9-10 play-in game. It meant the proud franchise would be out of the playoffs for the second straight season, a first over Greg Popovich's quarter-century tenure. If it continued on its path, the franchise would be running in place. So four-time All-Star DeMar DeRozan was dealt to the Bulls. 30-somethings Rudy Gay and Patty Mills left to join contenders. And months earlier, in March, San Antonio bought out 35-year-old seven-time All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge. Bring on the youth movement, these moves signaled. Paul Garcia from Project Spurs and the Spurs cast joins me to discuss these new-look Spurs, Spearheaded by energetic youngsters DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, and Derek White. He details the challenges ahead for the 72-year-old Popovich and much, much more. Here we go. Paul, it's an honor to have you on the show again. Welcome back. Thanks. You know, you and I were talking beforehand and it's been quite a while, apparently. It felt like just yesterday. Yeah, allegedly it's been over four years, but who (laughs) knows? Time is crazy. The Spurs, and I'm not just saying this because I have you on, really intrigue me. And I think a lot of our listeners will be interested too, even if they don't follow the Spurs closely. Because this offseason marked an obvious team building shift. The most familiar veteran faces are gone. I'm talking about DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, who was there for 10 seasons, Rudy Gay, even LaMarcus Aldridge which was a little bit earlier, March of last season, when he was bought out by the Spurs. So it's certainly a changing of the guard. The keys are largely being handed to young, up-and-coming players. How would you describe the Spurs' plan? And what kind of timetable do you think they're looking at for getting back to being a contender? Yeah, so right now they're really just in that youth development mode where like this is something that San Antonio really hasn't done in a very long time. Um, you know, the, the last time they had they were projected to basically finish in the lottery, um, you know, in, within like the top 10 was the year that David Robinson got hurt. So we're going back that far. And this again, like this is a, a new thing for the city here in San Antonio and for the fan base because uh, and it's kind of exciting just for the fact that, like, like you said, you know, it's, it's a lot of young players and a lot of these these players, you know, they're going to finally get the keys to the car, as, as we can say, because now that now that DeMar DeRozan's gone, one of the, one of the lead players um, in, in, the, in the half court um, veterans like Patty Mills and Rudy Gay are gone. Now, all of a sudden, it's up to DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Kelton. Johnson, Lonnie Walker, all of these young players, it's their it's their opportunity now to, to basically, you know, see what how how far can they go, what kind of level can they get to. As far as the expectations, um, you know, if we look at Vegas, you know, it doesn't look like a good season for the Spurs in terms of wins and trying to make the playoffs. But uh, again, you know, this is one of those seasons where they're going to really just try to, to see how far these these young guys can go. Can any of these players turn into an all star? Is is there that type of potential there, or is is it just like a development uh, mode where where this looks like a pretty good core, and then maybe with cap space next summer or the, or the following offseason, they might want to try to attract a free agent who sees San Antonio as a um, as a young um, you know collective group, and all they need is like that that one All NBA level player to join their team to maybe take them to the next level yeah and we can get 
into more of the specifics about personnel and who you see having breakout years potentially and what kind of rotations you expect to see. But just from a more big picture standpoint, what are some of the best and worst case scenarios you think are realistic for Spurs fans to expect? Okay, so best case, there's two, there's two roads here. Let's just say they, they win more games than they're supposed to. Well, then best case, I think that we can say maybe they're, they're, they make it to the play-in tournament, one of those type of teams again. Because they, they got mm-hmm. in there last year, but like we said, they had DeMar and they had Patty Mills and all those other guys. So I think that's the best case. Another best case scenario, though, even if they don't win a lot of games, is they're actually, like I said, they, they, right now they, could, they should be projected to get the sixth pick in the lottery. In this, so and, and they could end up basically getting themselves into a very good draft pick selection, if, even if they don't, they don't have a lot of success on the court. So there's basically, it's almost like a win-win uh, situation if they're competitive and get into that playing game, you know, or if they, they basically can't win games, but they still end up getting maybe themselves like a top five uh, a lottery pick in the offseason. Mm-hmm. As far as worst case scenarios, I mean, if you're just, again, like if you're looking at, at winning games, then yeah, that's going to be very tough for them, you know, they're projected right now to win less than 30 games according to Vegas. So that's kind of, you know, it's not going to be a fun season for the fan base when, you know, the Spurs could end up going like on, on a six game losing streak. Then they win a few games or, or win one game. And then here we go. They're going to go on a four game losing streak, maybe a five game. So it won't be fun during the season if they end up becoming that, that basically that top five lottery type team, because it's not going to be fun to watch this team, you know, losing and going through multiple losing streaks, especially being out West where it's a very competitive conference and with the slate of schedule that they have right now. Just a quick follow-up on that. I know the West is deep, but do you think that that 30-game projection is a little bit low? It sounds a little low to me. It, it does sound a little low, but man, once you really break down the schedule and you start going through their games, I mean, they, they could, right now, the way their schedule set up, they could like literally start the year off like two and 12, like at worst case. So, so it's like, even though, yes, I, I you know, I, I would say it, it sounds low when you actually look at, at their opponents and who they have in line game after game after game, it gets very tough to say, okay, they're going to win, beat this yeah. team and they're maybe going to beat that team. And so, so yeah, I think, I think we just hear the number, the raw number, it sounds like it, but when you actually provide some context for looking at the schedule, I, I, I want to say last time I did this like a month ago, maybe when the, when the initial wins came out projections, I had maybe got to like 26 that I was like, for sure. Okay. They're going to for sure get these 26 wins, I think. So yeah. So even just cracking that, that number was pretty tough for me to look at with the schedule. Yeah, it's tough because projecting, you see at least six or seven really strong teams out West, maybe more like seven to nine. And so where are the wins going to come from? And it's a really young squad. We'll get more into that now. You alluded to the David Robinson injury season. That was the last time the Spurs missed the playoffs before each of the last two seasons. And Greg Popovich had never not qualified for the playoffs as Spurs head coach since that season, 96-97. And he took over uh, for Bob Hill. So it was a little different situation. Mm-hmm. Pop is coming off his first Olympics appearance as head coach. Of course, he led the U.S. to gold. He'll be turning 73 through the season. But judging from some of those media day quotes that you shared, he seems pretty energized to me. As far as you can tell, where's his head appear to be at right now with regard to this team that he'll be leading? Like you said, it's a little bit of a different situation for him in San Antonio. Yeah, you know, just based on his quotes and, and just kind of the mood that he had at media day, I mean, he's excited. And because I think that for him, 
it's a new challenge in the sense of like, he's never been in this situation in a, in a, in a very long time where like, you know, the expectations aren't there to become, you know, a, a certain playoff team or become a championship. Like, like, the, like the expectations have always been for San Antonio, but instead it's, it's learning, um, you know, how can I help these, these young guys develop who, who, who might turn into a star down the road here? He was excited just thinking about already. He said, um, just, you know, going into a close game. Now that DeRozan's gone, you know, who's going to be that closer out of these young guys who's going to take the last, the last shot. What kind of play is he going to run for these young guys? Who is he confident in giving the ball to? And so again, it's just a really fun season. I think for him, he's also going to change his, not, not his coaching style, but his approach in terms of, he already said, because they're young, because they're quick, they're going to try to play fast. They're going to try to get up and down the court. And so maybe all his years, he's never had a, a chance to play with the team like this or coach a team like this because you know he's always had back in the day with tim tony and Manu. you know he had the big three where there were a lot of post heavy with tim early on then it was a lot of more pick and roll half court oriented then of course you know he has the lamarcus aldridge Kawhi leonard derozan teams which are which are again more half court oriented and so now that derozan's gone and patty mills and, and rudy gay they're actually going to get their chance for the first time to actually just see what, what what this spurs team can do just increasing pace um he just said you know a lot of guys aren't going to play 30 minutes 39 minutes a night so he just wants them to give their all when they're out on the court so, so i really am interested to see if he if, if he goes through with what he's saying in terms of making this be one of the quicker teams that he's ever coached um, coming into the season. I think that'll be really cool to watch. They were in the middle of the pack also in pace the last couple seasons. And as you mentioned, they have been for a while, not one of the faster playing mm-hmm. teams. So it should be good. I think they have the personnel to do it. Um, you kind of alluded to this in your last response about who's going to be the guy to take the last shot. I'd love to know who the likeliest breakout star is for this team in your mind. And also, do you think there needs to be one for this team to qualify for the playoffs or even the play-in? Yeah. So, okay. So as far as who it's going to be, I, it's almost like a tie for, for me, it's going to be either Derek or, uh, White or DeJounte Murray. Right now you, you would say DeJounte because, you know, he has that potential where he can get like triple doubles. He did, he's done, he did that multiple times. When you even go back and look at the clutch stats from last season, aside from DeMar DeRozan, DeJounte was second on the team in taking, um, the, the most, uh, jump shot attempts. So, so we saw that he was kind of building that confidence and be ready to take over when, when games got close. Um, Derek has more so that, that half court pick and roll ability where he can kind of get to the rim find teammates get to the free throw and he has that, that in his game so i could see either of those two players um kind of going and maybe surpassing expectations and turning into you know a player that really pops um and and yeah i you know at the end of the day though again like to get into the playoffs or get into the playing team i think that they do need that they need to find out who is that that guy that they're going to give the ball to you know the last five minutes of a game uh maybe when the team's struggling and they're down by like you know 12 points who are they going to give the ball to possession after possession to try to get them into the game and maybe get to the free throw line to slow the game down and i don't know if they have that player on the team but again it'll be fun to watch to see if if a player does turn into that that type of player Speak, if you can, just more about the dynamic between Murray and White on the court. How do they complement each other? Do you think they'll be staggered a little bit more to have either one at the point when the other rests? What is that situation like? Yeah, um, you know, this is going to be year two for the both of them getting to on defense. Let's first talk about defense. You know, that's kind of what, what you wanted to see was how do they, um, you know, what kind of backcourt can they have defensively? Because we know DeJounte's a very good defender and then Derek can be a, a pretty good defender as well. And they didn't get that much time last season because Derek had all those all those injuries to deal with. Um, so so this season should be a lot better defensively to see how, how they handle, you know, as, as the t- the basically the main two wing players out on the defensive end that, that Coach Pop's going to look to. 
Uh, and then on the offensive end, they don't complement each other that well because, um, you know, unless DeJounte really turns into a really good three-point shooter, he hasn't had that that part of his game right now, um, you know, built very well. So usually when, when, when one of them's off the ball, it's it's tough for them to, like, basically space space out for each other. Um, you know, Derek's better at, at shooting the three. And so I do I do expect that they, uh, Coach Pop will stagger their minutes. You know, they'll probably start together, but then, yeah, he'll probably make sure one of those two players is on the floor for most of the time during a game just to make sure that they're the best two players at running the offense, running in the pick and roll, running the half court. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see how, how they do, especially on the defensive end, um, going into year two, playing, playing more minutes together. Yeah, both really exciting young players, and they're certainly going to get a lot of minutes. It's wide open now with DeMar DeRozan gone. They're going to be doing a lot of ball handling, be facilitating a lot. Now let's go into Keldon Johnson. Fresh off his Tokyo Olympics appearance, I know he didn't get a lot of run, but had to have been such a valuable experience. People really want to know more about him, specifically his game. What's most uh, impactful about what he provides on the court? And do you think there's a particular area that he's emphasized this offseason that could really grow his game even more? One of the reasons why I didn't name him as like probably one of those players who I think is going to be that breakout star is because he doesn't get to, um, you know, uh, normally he doesn't get to, to initiate as much in the half court like Derek and DeJounte. So he doesn't have that opportunity. Now, I am eager to see if maybe the coaching staff does, you know, give him more time, either running the pick and roll, maybe attacking one on one type of mismatches. If that's the case, well, then, yeah, Kelton has a better chance at becoming a breakout star. So we know that last season, um, you know, his one of his biggest strengths was that he was just he's just a very energetic player. He's able to get get in um, near the rim and crash the glass. He's, he's pretty good about being very physical and getting to the free throw line. Um, really, really making a lot of contact. That's how he likes to score. One of his biggest weaknesses is the outside shot, the, the three-point shot. Um, once teams kind of figured him, figured out his game by like February, they kind of just, uh, if you watch any Spurs game, it pushed pause when Kelton was off the ball. They were basically, his defenders were um, close to the free close to the paint basically they were basically giving him a lot of space they didn't trust his three-point shot that the opponents and so he knows that he even talked about at media day he basically said the biggest thing he's working on is his, his three-point shot um he's going to have a lot of confidence a lot of a lot of um, learning experience that he took away from the olympics as well so that was a good situation for him but kind of what you saw in the olympics he's a player who again plays plays more so off the ball just is, is a very physical player um he uses a lot of energy but I am eager to see, does the coaching staff now want to maybe give him some pick and roll opportunity? Do they want to give him some, some like I said, some some one-on-one type of isolation sets? Because that'll be interesting to see. That That's the that's like the raw part of his game that we haven't really seen here in San Antonio, is seeing him like operate in, on, on offense in the half court. What do you expect the starting lineup to look like? Okay, so so my um, projection for the starting lineup is, is going to be a DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Keldon Johnson, and then Jakob Perto. I think those are the four locks. And, and I've said that on, on our podcast, the Spurs cast that, that I host as well. Now, the, mm-hmm. the one player at the four is where we're gonna, it gets interesting. And for now, I think it's Doug McDermott just because this team still needs shooting in that starting lineup. That those, those five players I named you, only one of them is a good shooter in Derek White. So I think that McDermott's that, that player who's, who's a natural four right now who can really space the floor. He can move off the ball, can score um, near near the rim um, uh, yeah, as, as a secondary um, action player. So I really think that it's McDermott. But if Thaddeus Young ends up sticking on the team i could also see thaddeus young as my second option for who starts yeah uh, mcdermott i think really could help offensively spreading the floor defense is maybe the primary concern but wouldn't that be a lot easier to digest given the personnel that he'd be playing alongside it seems like they have a lot of really capable defenders who will be starting 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I know that we talk about, you know, DeRozan leaving and how it's really going to, you know, it's going to be tough on the players for the offense and the half court and, you know, initiating. But actually, that's going to be one of the benefits for this team is now that DeRozan's actually gone off this team, they're they're going to have better, um, you know, more athletic, more energetic type of defenders. Um, And, and so I think that even even McDermott, um, you know, while he's not, an, uh, you know, when you're elite defenders, he's still going to be OK in terms of making the rotations and kind of, you know, they won't put him on the on the best um, offensive player each night. They'll, again, they'll give those responsibilities to him, um, to DeJounte, to Derek and to Keldon and then you know they'll leave Doug more so on that you know third or fourth option on offense so I really feel like yes uh, with the players he's gonna have around him he would be okay um, on the defensive end a cool stat about Doug McDermott's offensive production he's one of only nine active players who have made 600 three-pointers over their careers while shooting 40 plus percent from beyond the arc and that didn't really surprise me to see that he's one of them just because percentage wise he's so consistent year in and year out now he's arguably in the prime of his career at 29 and he's coming off of a career season at least offensively for the Pacers he posted a career best 13.6 points per game his two-point percentage was by far the best too which I think is interesting and he, he actually a lot of people might think he just takes threes but more than half of his shots were from inside the arc. So he has a, a more well-rounded, I think, overall offensive game than a lot of people expect out of him if they don't watch him regularly. What kind of scoring load do you think he'll take on for this young team, or does that remain to be seen? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of remains to be seen because I think that, you know, what they want to put into place more so is that old Spurs basketball, that 2014 type model where, where it's more so like driving kick action. And then, and then that's where you're either, if you, you know, if, if you're, you're cutting a lot, you're, you're playing off the ball. And so I think that if they can set them up for open shots, that's going to be good. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, when, when I, when he, when he first signed with the Spurs, I was like looking back and yeah, like he actually scores a lot more closer to the rim. And so, yeah, that was a very surprising stat to see. So we know that he can put the ball on the floor. Um, but yeah, I would say maybe like. To 10 to like 13 points maybe I would, I would give a projection right now so uh, you know as far as like who's taking shot attempts I would see him as maybe like the fourth or fifth player on the team in terms of shot attempts per game and in terms of minutes do you think it might be in line with what he did with the Pacers last year like mid-20s maybe at most yeah I'd say something like that I think that Pop's gonna have a rotation and he's gonna keep all those players you know kind of like in that 25 to like 28 minute range yeah that was also um I think you quoted that earlier where he was saying also with regard to why guys can pace themselves. Cause mm-hmm. there's so many guys going to be playing. No one's going to be playing in the high thirties, probably for example. Yeah. Cause that was usually the case with some of the veterans like LaMarcus and, and DeRozan. They always had to get like their 32 to like 35 minutes kind of nights. And so now yeah. with this young team pops ready to give them. Yeah. He said, he said, you know, no one's playing 39 minutes a night. Yeah. So with DeMar DeRozan gone four time all-star, there is going to be a lot more open, particularly offensively. He led the Spurs in scoring, assists, and shot attempts each of his three seasons in town, except for 2018-19, I checked this, when LaMarcus Aldridge narrowly edged him by one-tenth of a point per game, but we'll just count it. So basically, that's going to be a big loss in some ways. You talked about one of the silver linings, but where does his departure hurt the most? 
I think it's just going to be in the half court. I mean, I mean, like, like you know, DeRozan was always that player. You know, they'd run their sets, and if there was nothing, they kick it to DeRozan. He can easily run a pick and roll. He can take his his defender one on one. He was good about pacing the team, about getting to the free throw line to slow the game down, or, or to try to make a comeback. He was actually one of their best players at setting up the three point shooters. Um, you know, even though they didn't make a lot of those shots, he was he was one of the better players at doing that. So I really feel like again, like in the half court, Derek and Dejounte are really going to have to um, you know, step up or whoever's going to take that responsibility because you know, Demar De- DeRozan did. So much for them on offense, uh, this team that, that you know, and like you, you just said in all the stats right there, you know, he was one of the leaders in, in all those categories. And even when, um, you know, they played a team that was really good at, at taking away everything from, from them on offense, DeRozan could easily, could also go to his strength, which was that, that one-on-one type of mid-range uh, basketball where, where he was very efficient as well with that with that non-paint too. So, so I really feel that, yeah, there, there's a lot that, that he, on the offensive end, I think that they're going to they're gonna miss him a lot. And it's going to be time for these young guys to have to grow and, and learn, you know, how to not only make themselves impactful, but also their teammates. On a related note, Patty Mills was in San Antonio for 10 seasons. Do you think he'll be missed more on the court or off? It just seemed like he was so well-liked and a lot of people, for good reason, associate him with that franchise. I think both. I mean, um, you know, they don't have uh, right now like like a, a natural player who can fill exactly what Patty did on, on the um off the bench. Um, you know, he, not he wasn't just a spot up shooter. He, he could get the second unit into their sets. He could um, you know, he he could he could be an aggressive player for Coach Pop and go on like a six to like nine nine um point uh, go to possession by possession, making like six or nine points quickly. Uh, and they don't mm-hmm. only have a guy off the bench right now that's able to do that. And then of course in, in the locker room, I mean, he's been around. He was the veteran. Uh, he was the guy that was there to like help all the all the young players kind of grow uh, in the Spurs' system. He was really good about team camaraderie off the court where he had this thing called the coffee gang that they had started back when Manu Ginobili and Boris Diaw played with the team and he kept that going even though there was like a big age difference with a lot of these young players they, they all got to know Patty very well and he hung out he hung out with them off the court and just established that really good Spurs culture and I think they're really going to miss uh, that part of not having Patty here yeah that was cool when um, Popovich was against him in in the Olympics too oh yeah that was fun to watch <laughs> um Bryn Forbes is back, at least. Um, So that's one familiar face that will be back in town. And he has a championship in tow from his lone year in Milwaukee. He opted out. He could have stayed in Milwaukee. I know it's a little bit different because Patty Mills was putting up those stats while Forbes was on the team. So there were enough threes to go around, but... Do you see Forbes filling some of that void left by Mills? How does I that think so. Out? I think so. So like Vryn's not, you know, Patty's more of a natural point guard in terms of learning how to how to initiate the offense and, and bring the ball up the floor. Bryn has mm-hmm. that capability because the Spurs actually had to make him do that a few years ago when, when there were some injuries at the point guard position. I believe when Tony Parker was still on the team. And and that season for like a, like two or three months, Bryn had to run the point uh, off the bench. And so he'll be he'll he'll be okay in doing that. And again, it's just gonna be more so just being that that aggressive um shot taker from the outside. He's gonna have to fulfill that role that Patty's leaving behind. Um but in terms of Bryn coming back, he's he is actually one of the players that the fan base uh, kind of has more, um, you know, uh, criticism toward. It, that, that's how it was back in um, before he left to Milwaukee was b- because of the fact that, you know, he does take away a little bit on the defensive end where he struggles there and, and teams try to target him and try to go at him as their mismatch. And then, of course, we know that he's he's supplying on the offense, the three point shooting. And so a lot of fans were a little upset that, um, you know, this year he's coming back. Yes. And, and he's going to help out the three point shooting. But but they're, they're worried about what he's going to do on the defensive end. And then not only that, he could take away minutes from um, a, a young player who's playing very well right now in, in Trey Jones, and if the coaching staff wanted to give the, the young rookie some minutes, uh, Josh Primo, that Forbes would all, all would also be in the way of um, both of those players trying to get minutes. Do you think, just given that Forbes's minutes were dwindling? 
particularly at the end of Milwaukee's playoff run, that he just wanted to be more where he's comfortable and he thought that he would get more minutes or at least have a chance of getting more minutes than he would in Milwaukee. Do you have any insight into what his decision-making was in returning? Well, I know that he liked, he liked the city. I mean, he really enjoyed the city, mm-hmm. the team that, that, you know, Spurs were the team that gave him his, his, his first chance in the NBA. Um, and then, you know, under Coach Pop, Coach Pop likes Bryn Forbes as a player. He likes to give him minutes. He's going to get a, he's going to get a rotation spot. I, I don't think Bryn's going to be one of those guys trying to, trying to, you know, who's going to be on the, on the third string where he's not going to be playing, um, every night. Uh, he would really have to take a, take a step back for that to happen. So, so even just hearing Coach Pop's comments at me today, you know, they're happy to have Bryn back. And I think that he for sure here has a bigger role than he would have, uh, maybe in Milwaukee, especially like you mentioned, you know, down, down, toward the end of that the finals run he was really he really wasn't playing at all even though he had a really good series against milwaukee i mean not milwaukee miami in that first series so i think that yes the, the opportunities there with san antonio he's comfortable and then um you know like i said it's gonna fr- frustrate some of the fan base but Bren's gonna get his minutes here yeah. in san antonio yeah and he's another lights out shooter that they're adding so that should really be good whenever he does get court time stay tuned we'll be right back with more show Now that week three is in the books, it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. You do not want to miss this, so here's how you can take advantage. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any game this week to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with its daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hi, I'm Pete Croato. I'm the author of From Hang Time to Prime Time, and I'm on the NBA Beach. You mentioned Thaddeus Young earlier, and I think he's a really interesting player on this roster because he was acquired in the DeRozan trade, and one thing you see immediately that's attractive if you're a, a front office executive is he has a pretty large contract that's expiring at the end of the season. The same is true for Al Farouk Aminu. Although I think if you look at their recent production, Thaddeus Young more reasonably will be a contributor versus Aminu, even though Aminu is a couple of years younger. What do you think Thaddeus Young can reasonably provide on the court more than just being that aspiring con- expiring contract or potential trade piece or, or even like a, as a mentoring role for these young players off the court. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And before we get into him, you know, just the, what you just said there about him, uh, Young and, and Aminu. So the, the date that I'm watching right now, and we're all watching here in San Antonio, is, is October 18th. That is the day that right now the Spurs have 17 players on guaranteed contracts. So by October 18th, they have to get their, their roster down to 15 players on guaranteed contracts. So they're going to have to either waive or trade two players. And, you know, when you look at this roster, you see a bunch of young players and then you see those two veterans. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of watching in the in these next, you know, few, few weeks here, two or three weeks before the season starts. You know, d- d- is Young still on the team? Is Aminu still on the team? And even based on today on his quotes, um, Thaddeus Young spoke to the media today. And if you listen to his quotes, you know, he kind of he at first he didn't know if he would end up being in San Antonio. He thought he might get moved to basically like another team. And he basically has a mindset. He's basically he it almost sounds like he knows he might be on the on the way out. But he's saying that right now is, you know. For now, I'm, I'm in San Antonio. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be a professional. You know, I'm going to help be a veteran for these young guys. There's almost like that. It almost feels like it's going to happen, but but it's not. You know, it's not quite there yet. So if, if he doesn't get traded or waived, um, and same thing for me, you know, I, I think that Young's going to be a, a good piece for this team. I think that he's too good not to play him. So I think that he'll either he might, like I said earlier, he might either start at the four or maybe he he starts. Um, he's the backup um four off the bench, and the Spurs need to make sure he's getting minutes because it, you know he's a very attractive trade piece where a lot of teams want him. I remember um, just when the Spurs had first got him um, in that DeRozan deal, um, Zach Lowe on his podcast had said something like, you know, he thinks that the Spurs might be able to get a first round pick for Thaddeus Young. So again, there's going to be a lot of teams that want Thaddeus Young and, and we'll see if San Antonio takes them all the way into the season up until that, that the trade deadline in February and tries to get, you know, a first round pick uh, for him. Or if, mm-hmm. um, you know, they try to they basically uh, move him um, now in the next few weeks. Yeah, he's 33 years old, but he doesn't really play like it if you look at his production. He's a pretty good rebounder. He's a good facilitator for his position, and he has loads of experience he brings to the table. This will be his 15th season in the league, which is kind of hard to believe, but he was so young coming in. So I guess we'll just continue to monitor that situation. It sounds like you're kind of expecting him to be moved, but if he stays, he could make a real impact. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what about Zach Collins? That seemed like kind of a risky move, giving him three years, $22 million. He has a lot of potential, but seems to be pretty injury prone and specifically is coming off of a foot injury where he last had surgery in late June and was given a four to six month timetable. What kind of risk reward calculus did the front office go through when they decided to make that move you know when we look at the deal i think that you know initially it did sound pretty you know it's like 21 million to zach collins and he just messed up his leg in june here uh that that kind of like worried you a little bit but then when you actually look at the, the details of the contract it's not so bad i think that it's it's a pretty safe move um this year he is getting that seven million guaranteed so i i, I feel like they do almost feel like they're going to see him at some point this year, or at least in the off season for next off season to, to, to have a good um, reading on how, his, how his legs doing and if he's going to be okay long-term uh, with that injury. And then um, even, even the following year in 22, 23, he, he's uh, it's a $7.3 million um, uh, deal, but he gets 3.6 million guaranteed. So they basically have all, all until, um, you know, most of next year to, to figure out if he's going to be healthy. And then even that last year is fully non-guaranteed at 7.7 million. So I've, again, because the last two years of this deal are not fully guaranteed, I think that it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe move. 
the expectations aren't high for this team. We know that, you know, they, they may struggle. So, so if you can just get him, uh, you know, with your medical staff, get him healthy and then give, and then maybe like by like, you know, wh- whatever time they, they haven't put an official time on the team, but we know that right now he is out. And so whenever they are able to get him on the court, you know, at least they can evaluate him, whether that's in games or maybe just in the practice arena. I mean, just in the practice facility to, to figure out, you know, what, what, what can he do? Mm-hmm. And, and again, he's still young. Uh, he was a former first rounder. So yeah, there's, there's some potential. Maybe the Spurs want to try out again, again with this developing young team. When you lay out the amount of guaranteed money, it really doesn't sound very risky to me. He's young. He's shown promise. Do you think he could supplant Pirtle as the starting center this season or probably not? Maybe not this season again. It, w- it would depend when he comes back, is, uh, you know, how quickly he comes back. And then – um um yeah, and then and then you know just seeing seeing how he performs in the games. Now, one thing he he brings that Jakob can is that, again that that versatility on offense where he can stretch the floor, becoming a three point shooter, kind of moving more so off the ball. Uh, but then you know Jakob does so much for this team on defense. So so we'll kind of see. But right now, I, I wouldn't project that right now. But but maybe next season. As we wind down, and this has been a really information packed conversation that I've really enjoyed. Thank you for appearing. I want to talk about a couple of youngsters from the lottery, each of the past two drafts. First, starting with Devin Vassell. He'll be 21 years old all season. Only got seven starts as a rookie, but I mean, I think that's good on a Popovich-led mm-hmm. team. Um, 17 minutes per game. So didn't play a ton, but decent amount as a rookie. Last year's 11th pick out of Florida State. What did you see from him last season that gives you hope that his role could be substantially expanded this season? Yeah, he actually got one of the rare seasons as as a, as a Spurs rookie. You know, no one usually plays, even if it's off the bench. They usually don't get real minutes under Coach Pop. And last year, Devin had to because of all the injuries that they dealt with so early in the year. And he and he kept that. He basically earned his minutes. Uh, what you really saw from him on the was on the defensive end, just the way he, how good he is in anticipating um, passes incoming to an opponent, and he can get those steals. Um, just very good about reading and, and providing help defense. So I really feel like, and then also his three point shot on, on the offensive end. His is his you know for a rookie uh, who had only played at the college level, you know. He, he had a really good – he really figured out the NBA three-point shot really quickly with that spot-up type three. Um, so, yeah, so he was a, a very good productive player um, in, his, in his first year um, there coming off the bench. Now, now, what was interesting to watch was how the team purposely wanted to see how he runs pick and roll in summer league. And so he got his opportunity to play like in five games. And he did very, very well um, where he would, he, would, he would a lot of times more so favor that mid-range shot once he kind of beat his defender and got away from the screen. Um, he would take that mid-range shot. But but he was pretty accurate with it for for some of those games, and so um you know the coaching staff did say you know it, however he played at summer league that's going to dictate how how much you know uh, time we're going to give him with the half court offense uh, in, in the actual NBA game. So I think that since he played pretty well as a pick and roll ball handler, I think that we're going to see a lot of that off the bench as Devin Vassell getting some opportunity to try to run some some half court sets. And I'm I'm interested to see what he can do because he like I said kind of like with with Kelton, Devin's also very very raw, a lot of untapped potential there. Yeah, another promising player but one who's seemingly pretty raw is the canadian josh primo he spent only one season at the university of alabama and will be 18 when the season tips off the youngest player in the 2021 draft Um, a lot of analysts regarded that pick as kind of a reach what are the chances you think he gets any decent minutes this season or is it more of a developmental year for him you know, originally I would say it's a developmental year um, because, you know, again, like you mentioned, how, how young he is because of all the guards that are in front of him uh, in the rotation. But like I mentioned earlier, when we first started this conversation, if this team gets off to a horrible start, let's say again, two and 12, four and 14, 
And, you know, and it basically looks like they're out, you know, they're going to be one of those, those teams like that are going to end up in the lottery or, um, you know, trying to basically try to get like, as, as best of a pick you can. Then, you know, why does it hurt the team to just give him some backup um, point guard minutes? So again, I think that if this team really struggles, then maybe it's, it's might as well let Primo get some real NBA minutes against, you know, gets legit competition. So maybe that happens where he ends up getting uh, real minutes. If again, if the team is, is on, is on a downside and, and not doing very well. Have you gotten a chance to see him, uh, see any of his highlights? from college yes i saw some of them but i mean we, we saw him he played in the in the summer league and the, and the coaching staff actually gave him so he played a lot of two in college but then at the summer league they let him be the point guard for a lot of games and so so we got to see two different elements of of how he plays off the ball and then with the ball and, and he was very interesting you know he has a lot of he, he's, he's probably got like the most like crafty shot making skills like you know not, they're not gonna be consistent as a rookie but on this team where he can kind of do step backs and and pull-ups and, and things like that and, and again he it, it's a lot of raw skills and he's gonna he's gonna struggle especially like turnovers and things like that but down the line here he has a lot a lot of tricks in his bag that I think that the players on this current team uh, kind of don't have this will be the final question for you Becky Hammond had a couple of interviews with the Blazers about being their next head coach. Of course, they went with Chauncey Billups. She's only 44, but has served on Popovich's staff more than, hand, more than a handful of seasons and is really well regarded around the league. There are so many players and coaches who are in her corner advocating for her. Do you think it's just a matter of time that she gets that head coaching job? And how does she appear to be approaching the situation where she's she's done some interviews but just hasn't quite gotten there yet? Yeah, you know, um, so so as far as like like I've I've always whenever I get asked this question about like you know who's going to be the the successor to Pop, I always say basically like in my opinion again is that if 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 Becky's not hired by anybody else, I think that I think that uh, she would take over as, as the next head coach whenever whenever again whenever Pop decides to retire. So we don't know when that when that time's going to going to be for him. So if like she's still here in San Antonio and, and Pop eventually retires down the line here, I, I really feel like she's the strongest candidate to get the job uh, here in here at San Antonio. As far as the other, the other teams, I mean, she kind of mentioned it in those interviews regarding what happened with the Blazers, where basically she's saying like you know it's almost like a, like a higher standard for her to try to try, try to um, get a job right now for not just her but you know women right now. And so so we want to see uh, when, when does when does that 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 change? You know those kind of expectations that unfortunately that 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 that, that, that these GMs and, and these these front office personnel are setting. Um, you know and, and when, when somebody like, somebody like Becky Hammond can get a job or, or any other um, female female coach. So so we'll kind of see if that's with a different team or like I said, if, if she's still here and, and Coach Pop eventually retires, I feel like uh, she would be um, great. I mean, be the candidate to take over uh, for him. And, and she's actually built a, a good system with these young guys. You know, basically DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Kelton Johnson, a lot of these young players have now gone three or four years getting to know her. And so, and, and you know, they're comfortable with her as their coach. And so um, I, I think that, again, you know, th- th- being in San Antonio where, where the players have been working with her for a very long time i think that would be a a good situation if that ended up happening yeah that could make a lot of sense purely just from a continuity standpoint Mm -hmm. but this has been really enjoyable and educational it's always a pleasure talking with you thanks again and enjoy these young players watching them run it's gonna be fun i think regardless of what their record ends up being yeah, for sure. I, th- I just, I, again, like I want to see, you know, you know, h- how do they develop on, on both ends of the floor and what kind of rotations does pop throw out? So yeah, even though this team, the, the expectations aren't very high, I just, you know, it's, it's still gonna be a fun, exciting season. Thanks again to Paul Garcia for coming back on. And of course, thank you to our loyal listeners and those tuning in for the first time. Your host for this episode was me, Aaron Fisher. You can follow our show on Twitter at OnTheNBAB and me personally at ByAaronFish. 
This episode was produced and edited by yours truly, with production assistance provided by Lauren Legion. You can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever you get your podcasts. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated as they really do help more people find the show. OTNB is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. We'll see you next time.